Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night Beyond, the podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and whatever is beyond reality. We are now into year 1987. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, John, is on the other side. How's it going, people? Alright, so what are the four films we're going to be discussing today? I don't know. You'll find out as we go. What is our first film? Wait, you said you don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to hope that I've seen these movies before. <laughs> I, I would hope so, because we watched Witches of Eastwick. Yes, oh my god, I haven't seen this since I was a kid, and I love it way more now than I did then. Well, it's like, the only thing I knew about this film going in is what I remembered from the Mad Magazine parody. Okay, <laughs> I, I've had movies like this, yes. Yeah, so, uh, I'll say this. Uh, I'm, I'm not a particularly huge Jack Nicholson fan. Mainly because he's, you can kind of watch his career where he stopped giving a shit and just started playing himself. And not saying that he can't act. Not saying he can't act or, or provide a thing, but he's always acting as himself. And it's in things like, in like watching, say, The Shining, where it's a movie that's about a guy who's supposed to be uh, falling apart and you know loses his mind through isolation and all the all the demons and stuff like in inner demons and whatnot but you hire jack nicholson who looks like he's fucking insane so no shit he goes insane and tries to kill his family because he's fucking jack nicholson right this works pretty well because jack nicholson already looks unhinged and crazy and he's the devil and I, I can't see it as it was originally intended uh, as being uh, uh, from Ghostbusters, Bill Murray. You're kidding. This was originally offered to Bill Murray? Yeah. Bill no. Murray turned it down. Wow. No, I don't see that at all. Yeah, well, it's like I could get part of it because there's that smarmy attitude right. that, is in, that is in this character. But, yeah, Jack, Jack Nicholson is 100% perfect for this. And you also have a cast of three extremely attractive women uh, who are the witches that uh, become Jack Nicholson's uh, focus in this in this story. Because you know you got my, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, you got Susan Sarandon, you got Cher. And while I'm not as big into Cher, my God, Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer just. I'll say this, Cher, this is Cher's movie. I, I mean, I watch this and really focus on how much, the, you know, each character is getting. And it really does seem like Cher is the star. It's Anne Jack Nicholson, but the other two girls sit back a little bit because I think they're a little more mousy. But Cher, the minute she comes on the screen, no one's fucking around with her. She's ready to just go, screw you, buddy, I'm out of here. Well, I'm really wondering is, uh, it's based off a book, and I'm really kind of curious if the Cher character really is the... Uh, more dominant main character. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, that 100% makes sense. Otherwise, it might just might have been, well, we need one one of these characters to be the little more dominant force on uh, on our heroine's side. Right. So, I'm telling you right now, Tim Burton must have loved this movie because I feel like when he saw Jack Nicholson, he was perfect for the Joker. And then he saw Michelle Pfeiffer, and she was perfect for Catwoman. Yes, I know that. Uh, what's her face auditioned? Um, Glenn Close. No, uh, from, no, sorry, not Glenn Close. I mean, ah, from. Blade sorry, Runner. yeah, from Blade Runner. Fuck! What the hell is her name? Yeah, it's like Rachel from Blade Runner. I can't think of her name. Starts an S. Starts an S. That's all I got. Sean Young. Thank you. Yes. 
Yeah, let's see. Yeah, there you go. It starts starts with a man's name. That's why I got clicked. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just see this, and you know, this Warner Brothers, and they probably just teed this up, you know, for him as he's preparing because he's already with the studio. He's already done Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and he's working on Beetlejuice probably while this is coming out, and just kind of setting aside in his mind who he wants to work with in the future. Yeah, and yeah, that that definitely I, I could see that, and there's not necessarily a whole heck of a lot into the in the plot of this film. It's just yeah, Jack Nicholson rolls into town, has his eyes set on these three particular ladies because they are uh, to not to their well. They're witches, but they don't realize it, and they're also part of the reason why Jack Nicholson strolls in is because they kind of summon him. And so he's there to uh, get laid and uh, give birth, have, have someone give birth to the Antichrist, of which there end up being three Antichrists yeah. at, in this film. Well, here's the other thing is that it's more performance and director base. This is George Miller. And you can see the delicacy he's putting into the cinematography as he's choosing images. Just certain things in there that you only have a director like George Miller will pick up. Especially the scene where you have the back focus of the mansion pulling towards, uh, you know, that huge lawn and Cher and Jack Nicholson are eating at that table. And I was like, what a beautiful image. Yeah, there's definitely some beautiful shots in this, but there's... There's also some things that, while I guess uh, are technically technically impressive, like the the tennis ball thing, I guess was kind of a pain in the ass to do. That scene went way too long. Yeah, but I can see that they were like, "Oh, this is a new technology that we can show off." Yeah, it's I I'm surprised that I that I liked this as much as I did. Not because I thought I was going into it going, "Oh, I'm not going to like this." Just I had my expectations were kind of just not there i just knew of the film by by the fact that it existed and nothing else i didn't realize there's a sequel to this called the widows of eastwick i did not know that either i wonder if they ever tried to do another sequel who uh michael christopher wrote this i know that name what is oh he wait no sorry i thought he was he wrote, uh, nothing I know. <laughs> Never mind, I was waiting to see something. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. Oh, like, he, I, yeah. I thought his name sounded familiar, but it was not. Nope, never mind. Denied. Uh, the, uh, I just think it's a really fun, wild movie. Yes, you're right. It's not really based on the plot, but there's a lot of fun stuff going on. And then it has that really serious turn. And I'm going to tell you right now, as much as I like sharing this, Veronica Cartwright, holy fuck is that a performance. Yeah, she gives it She gives it her all, but she also, she's in probably the second worst uh, vomiting scene I've ever seen oh, in a film. Oh, yeah, it is horrifying. Just so, so much, so long, gross. Just, yeah. just, yeah, I... One of those things were just like, okay, less is more, guys. <laughs> the uh, uh, this is the debut of Richard Jenkins, who is a character that everybody loves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit, there's, like I said, yeah, it's, there's a lot in this film that I really enjoyed, but it's mostly just seeing uh, Susan Sarandon uh, getting turned on 
by uh, playing the cello. <laughs> that it just was like, thank you. Thank yeah. you, George Miller. I, I think it's a lot of fun. It's really weird. And it's, it's very inventive at the end with the special. You have to remember that a lot of these special effects are really difficult to do in 1987. I still have no idea exactly how they did the giant demon at the end. I don't know if they did forced perspective on, you know, uh, you know, animatronic or they used uh, stop motion or what they did. I'm going to guess forced perspective. Yeah. Just, just kind of based on what, uh, what Miller does in general. He, mm -hmm. he likes a lot of practical in camera stuff more so than trying to uh, do the uh, like too many uh, visual, visual effects. Right, right. Uh, so, what is our second film? Second film is Cherry 2000. I liked this as a kid, and I watched it this time. I wasn't feeling it. I don't know why. It's something about it. I understand the director, where he's going. He creates beautiful imagery. But when it comes to action, I think it's a dud. Oh, this... My, my problem... After watching this, I was really wondering, is this supposed to be a dark comedy? Because there's... I mean, it's not funny necessarily and it's like and yes i there's there are gags that yeah. are very well, much quirky yeah well there's like gags like it incels nightmare in which like in order to have sex in this town you have to uh, have a contract drawn up by a lawyer and you know it's these negotiations are happening and you know the woman can immediately terminate the contract if she feels that that her needs are not going to be met or something like that and you know, it's like, it's funny, as I said, like, it's an incel's nightmare, because that's what they're all afraid of, is that they, romance is dead. It's all, all these, uh, anything that we want to do uh, has to be negotiated now. Yeah. And, and this film definitely, you know, kind of predicted that's how some people would react to things. But is it just me, or the uh, opening titles... It just kind of look like it's a porno, <laughs> or at least, or or at the very least, is a Skinamax movie. Yeah, you know, like it is so arch in its thing, and yeah, uh, I don't know. I it's a weird movie. That's kind of, kind of thing. It's just it's you said quirky. I just kind of go. This makes me like, like think that think of Brazil. Except it's weirder than Brazil. Yeah, it's. Uh, see, it's, so it's it's the mid '80s quirk. Like weird things are just kind of campy because they have like the trailer park life and they kind of dopey behavior. It's not like your typical uh, post-apocalyptic movie. It has its own voice. It's not a Mad Max style movie, really. It has bits and pieces of that. It's not really an Italian ripoff kind of Roger Corman. Uh, it, it's just unusual. And Actually, I can see what it made me think of was a boy and his dog. Okay, I was thinking of radioactive dreams. Well, it's like because when we watched that one, it's kind of the same plot where it's a guy is traveling around, you know, this it, this post-apocalyptic area, uh, trying to get laid, and that's basically our hero's thing is his uh, his sex doll broke. So now he's going to the only place that uh, apparently these things remain, and that's a uh, casino in Vegas. I and think um, 
Oh God! Uh, why did I forget her name? Fuck! Uh, oh, Mel- Melanie Griffith. Thank you, Melanie Griffith. I think is really good, and she's one of those early tough girls that was in you know sci-fi film. Why is it sci-fi always seems to be the genre that's pushing women forward? Why is that? Uh, because that's that's the only way uh, women can be taken seriously is if it's in the future or a post-apocalypse <laughs> where where you know it couldn't happen in the real world. It has to be in this you know oh, yeah, yeah, fantasy. Okay fantasy world yeah i uh i like the guy who's in it david um well i don't do any fucking research do i he's uh like he's he's one of those regular characters david andrews i think is what it is i just kept calling him patrick bateman because he made me think of uh of what's his name uh christian bale in in american psycho the entire time uh well i i mostly know him as the uh the father of um oh my god i really am having a day fuck me in the ear my so-called life what's her name she was in terminator 3 he's the dad in terminator oh, 3 claire danes claire danes oh my god this is embarrassing um i tim thomerson this is like when he was still considered like something of a b-movie actor instead of z grade when he started doing like doll man and all those transfer sequels um it had so unique voice but i really thought it was just kind of a dead yeah it it, it was it's definitely the least film that we saw in this in yeah. this uh, round of flicks now, what isn't the least film that we saw, but also a little too weird for its own good, was Inner Space. <clears throat> because it has Joe Dante's voice. Is that why you think? Because it's not exactly mainstream. Pretty much, it's it. Well, it's also it. You have this uh, miniaturization experiment that Dennis, Dennis Quaid is a part of that gets uh, botched a little bit. Uh, in, Basically, instead of getting into a rabbit, Des Quaid is injected into Martin Short. And, you know, there are bad guys that are after him, like, corp- like kind of a corporate espionage sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the bad guys is also a Terminator. <laughs> Apparently, or detachable arms. Yeah, he's got, he's got like a, uh, at least he has a cyborg arm that can be a blowtorch and can you know, be a gun and he doesn't really say anything until the end of the film where he gets dissolved by stomach acid. <laughs> I mean, it, but yeah, it, the, the biggest thing is like this film just it goes in weird directions. Like it's like fairly, a fairly straightforward spy plot. So you have, cause again, it's this corporate sabotage. These guys are going to go and, get this miniaturization chip and sell it to sell it to like the highest bidder sort of thing. Okay. That makes sense. And the man who knew too little is now stuck having to be a part of this case. Okay. Simple, simple idea. But then you'd get, you know, the fence in this film is Robert Picardo who is Russian. Uh, it's he's in a bad he's got a bad tan makeup a bad wig and has this really bad accent i couldn't tell what the fuck he was because sometimes it yeah. sounded like he was castilian and i couldn't tell yeah it's like maybe yeah maybe he's spanish it's hard it's very hard to tell what he's supposed to be but that's also part of the joy is there's such weird shit you know it's just like little things in here because a lot of it's because joe dante has his actors he loves to work with he has a very particular voice. It's kind of like uh, retro Corman meets, you know, like 80s flashback, uh, you know, pop twist. 
So yeah, it is very unusual, and I can see why this didn't do very well. It also came out in extremely competitive uh, nineteen eighty seven summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I know I saw this in in theaters. You did, cause... you lucky, lucky little boy. Oh no, it it bothered me because uh, the little. Oh yeah, at one point uh, they are able to uh, alter alter Martin Short's face. So he looks like Robert Picardo. You know that. And I do, I do kind of like the idea that he's asking, "Is it gonna hurt?" And Desgrave's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and but it's the uh, he gets uh, ends up getting an adrenaline rush uh, out of fear at one point, and it causes the the face to his face to revert back to normal. And it's the puppet that they use mm-hmm. just freaked me the fuck out oh, like, as a child because it's just it's a it, it's vibe, you know, his head is vibrating fast. Most likely, it's also sped up. It's kind of hard to tell because you never really get get any any idea of if people are moving slowly in the background or something like that. So it's, but it's like it's the face is twisting and growing and shrinking and all that stuff. And it's just, yeah. it, it's like it kind of like like with the Twilight Zone where the freakish puppets and that. Yeah, well, the, the fact that the throat expands and moves around, I was like, oh, this is weird. I don't know what the hell to do with this. <laughs> but yeah, it, and it, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is the bad, is the main bad guy. You've got uh, Dick Miller, as you said, he, you know, the Joe Dodger loves his, yeah, yeah loves, loves his, uh, his characters. So we get, we get him briefly in the beginning of the film. There's, Meg Ryan's in this as our as the love interest. It's like it's not that bad acted or anything, or there's nothing inherently wrong with the performances or even the script necessarily. It's just kind of just where Joe Dante goes with it. Like at one point our villains get shrunk to half their size. And so they're kind of running around uh, in giant sets. And then uh, midgets are attacking uh, Martin Short in the car at one point. You've got to hide them in the back, but you can kind of get a occasional, not rear projection, but, you know, like a... Forced a, perspective uh, with the fake hands. Yeah, so it's a two split yeah. images, like, put together. But I think this is a near-perfect movie. I absolutely loved it this last time, more than I ever have before. And I think it's because of the strangeness, the very particular sense of humor that Joe Dante has. He's one of my favorite directors. And um, I want to say this was written by Jeffrey Bohm, and this is how he got the job on uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, because this is a Spielberg production, and he brought him over for that. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm very glad I got to see this again, because it's, I want to say it, it hasn't, I haven't seen this since the theaters, so... Yeah, I'm. I'm happy that that this was one of the options because I definitely wanted to see it. The uh, of course. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was say no, our fourth and final film is is the film that I didn't need to watch again, but given an opportunity, I will always watch yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't because I didn't have enough time, but I know this by heart. So yeah, I. That's the thing. Is like, if I didn't get to it, if I didn't have to watch RoboCop again, there wouldn't have been a loss because I've seen it so many times. I can quote this movie pretty much from beginning to end. Uh, I think it is one of the best dark comedies. That's also one of the best, you know, action films. 
that is also one of the best uh, social commentary bits of bits of cinema ever. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I didn't realize until you know, like ten years ago or so, that Paul Verhoeven was fucking with us his entire American career, and I love it. Yeah, his his movies are always there's. Well, I don't want to say always. Ninety percent of his movies are not what you think they are. Yeah, they I may mean, be even, sold. They may be sold to the studio like that, but they when they come done, they're like, oh no, that's different. That's not what I expected. Heck, even Showgirls actually has some merit. Yeah, I will state. I will state right now, and I'm not talking about the boobs and butts. Yeah, okay, I have Maybe, to see it again. I haven't seen it since college. Yeah, there's. It's very much in the opening of that film, genuinely sets up what that film is actually about, and it's it's very, it's. Oh, we'll we'll talk about. It. Maybe we can maybe we can do that film later on or in a special or something. Yeah. But oh my god, this movie, uh, you know, it's this film that satirizes corporate greed. Like you have uh, the Ed Two Hundred Nine. Being this, uh, being designed for military contracts, but who gives a shit if it works? They've got, uh, they've sold it on spare parts for ten years, so who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a film that's all about uh, what it, what does it mean to be human? Like how much of RoboCop is actually a machine and just as programming, and how much is Murphy? Because Murphy's dead. He got shot in the head. His brains are brains are on the ground. You know, what is how much of it is just an echo of this of this dead man versus versus an actual, you know, thinking sentient human? Well, also think about the fact that we are, you know, the corporations just treat us like we're nothing. You know, we just throw away garbage just to be reused over and over. Well, it's even even more so than that. It's about it's the uh, privatization of, of essential services because. OCP, the uh, the evil corporation, is privatized is privatized the police department and is deliberately underfunding them so crime would be uh, rampant to create a demand for their more militaristic products. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that arm's still good. Who cares? Chop it off. We don't want it there. I was like, what? It's you know, it's outrageous. It's got crazy gore. You know, insane special effects. It's got like a dark sense of humor and like you know, it's the a corporation- Jesus- is the, it a Jesus allegory? Yeah, and God, they really fucked up this franchise. They get instant franchise fail. Yeah, I, and it's a my my big part is I, it with the sequels is that it's Frank Miller. Yes, and Frank Miller's a fascist. Yeah, and granted, and, well, and granted, RoboCop one with its violence and all that stuff, it the film does lean very left. It's a very left-wing film, but it is also fascist as hell because it is very right, make, uh, might makes right, and all that stuff. It is extremely that. It's just, it's designed by design to make the liberals feel good. Whereas the other ones are a little more right-wing, uh, right-wing leaning and dark and... Yeah, but there's something just missing, though. The second one has a bigger budget, has great special effects, I'll say that. And it has an interesting take. But it seems like Irvin Kirshner just took it to pay, you know, pay the bills, and it's so cynical. You know, there's still some hope in the first one. 
and you know just a lot of crazy wild and just it doesn't seem it's so so fucking bleak and the third one's a kid's movie and i'll tolerate the third one because it's not bleak even though it's a competent yeah the third one's a competent as hell and robot ninjas are terrible yes but but it's hard is in the right place but yeah it the, the problem is like what you said with cynicism is in the second film more so because it's not it doesn't really satire it's not, it doesn't try not to satirize anything it's just kind of existing in this world and I guess at the most is if you're going to try and say it, it's trying to be a satire, you know, satire or something it'd be the war on drugs but the first film already tackled the war on drugs right, and did it much better and now you're just kind of making, you know, not so much fun is just... Yeah, I just feel miserable when I watch the second one. Yes, I love the the special effects with um, Robocop 2, but I just don't like the storyline. The third one is, you know, further progressing down that road of corporate incompetence, but taking over more and more. You know, the whole city now is up for grabs. and yeah. But like I said, it's, it's directed like a kid's movie, and so some of it really does not work. Plus, the budget is so small compared to part two. Yeah, it's, but but the other things about that those two films are they are not quotable. Nope, I couldn't tell you a single fucking thing from except behave yourselves. It's like I still quote RoboCop all the time by saying I buy that for a dollar. Yeah, come with me or there'll be trouble. Yes. Oh my god. How can how can one man act so well and so horrible at the same yeah. time? It it is Peter Weller is amazing because it's like he's doing a robotic thing and it's really bad even for robot acting, but the man has so much charisma that it works and it really shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's just so, such a wonderful and then Rob Bottin's special effects are so incredible. When they took a lot of the personality out in the remake, I don't hate the remake. I just don't think it's as you know. I think it's still pretty you know weak, just like the rest of the sequels. But what they did was they just fucked up his costume. Something about it seemed too special. You know what I mean? Like it didn't seem like that clunky handcrafted magic that was in uh, the original RoboCop. Well, yeah, it's more of a. Well, and that uh, that's I didn't have a problem with that only because it very much felt like you know corporate you know corporate synergy saying it must be sleek and you know blah 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. so my problem with the with the remake is mostly is just they telegraph who the villain is like a mile away i mean even if it what sorry for a spoiler on this movie but uh even if you just you know saw michael keaton and didn't think that he was going to be a bad guy to begin with he basically is just telegraphed as a villain from like the moment you see him and it you almost get i almost felt tricked because of going it can't be that obvious he it you can't make it that that blatant that he's going to be the bad guy right and then his twist is just more more of like a mustache twirling villain twist than an earned villainous twist and i'm like damn you fucked that up so badly <laughs> Yeah, it's the one thing I really just don't think they're ever going to get right. Now that Amazon owns RoboCop, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of RoboCop miniseries, which they've done before, fucked up, TV show fucked up, cartoon fucked up, comic book fucked up. They only got it right once. No, 
No, the, there is one good. There is one good comic book. What? And that was the RoboCop versus Terminator. Yeah, but that's Frank Miller, buddy. I don't know. Yes, I yes, it is. I know. I know. But I accept that one as actually being a decent marriage of the two properties. Okay. Okay. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. The game was cool. I like that. All the all the versions of the game are cool. There yeah, were a couple of them. I'll say RoboCop's the only few things where they transferred it from a, from a you know a known property into a game and it worked out okay. Yeah. Now I'm just going to throw this one out as a synergy to our music podcast. Uh, there's a the club scene where uh, you have uh, RoboCop going after uh, Ray Wise. There's uh, there's a, the song that's playing is a by a band called PTP. Which is a side project of uh, Skinny Puppy and Ministry. Uh huh. And that the the only it took decades for that song to actually be available to hear. So it's like I thought, you know, for a long time I just thought it was a random, you know, this just a movie, you know, just score stuff that they had in there. It's like, you know, buy this Ministry CD of just random, uh, random songs, and all of a sudden. I start hearing this one, I'm like, wait a minute. I know that from RoboCop. <laughs> what the hell? Well, aren't they, is the Skinny Puppy the one that used uh, Behave Yourselves in like some song in the mid 90s? Probably, probably. It's They they sample all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But uh, there's also in that is the Paul Verhoeven cameo where uh, Nash kicks, kicks RoboCop, tries to kick RoboCop in the balls, and, you know, RoboCop's titanium so he breaks his leg and then cut to paul verhoven acting in front of the camera because i guess that was a he was trying to direct people mm-hmm. as to how they should be dancing like the excitement level so he just kind of got in front of the camera and just was like you know smiling very wide and shaking his fists and stuff and they laughed and they enjoyed it so much that they just edited it into the film nice so he's got an unintentional cameo. Yeah, I just I think it's truly one of the most perfect sci-fi films ever made. And just sometimes I just wish they had left it alone. Like it was just a one-time thing where Ryan Pictures went out of his like right as that was being released or something, and no one else bought the rights. Yeah, I. It's there are a few films that I feel are perfect, and this I think is one of them. Alright, so that is the end of the 1987 movies. We are still struggling with the 88-89 years, so I don't know what's we've finally chosen or if we can find the movies that we chose. So the next episode might be an amalgam where we do 88 and 89. Uh, but that is it. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. And where can we catch you? I'm on Twitter under M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. That's spelled musician. And uh, I can also find me on Twitch doing video game uh, streaming under that same name any particular game you're digging into right now right now i'm playing through the first mass effect and every now and then i've dipped into portal i'm about halfway through portal uh, sorry portal 2 and i started undertale maybe i'll get back to that one day okay i guess that's it everybody have a good night later i almost brought the end of the episode i could have just kept going just like oops <laughs> bye <laughs>